It might seem unexpected, but Nicki Minaj, Dolly Parton, and Michael Jackson share a similar taste in fashion. All three have been photographed wearing jackets made by the same company, or maybe it's more accurate to say secretive religious organization. An organization that was led by the so-called apocalyptic ministry leader, Tony Alamo. Who, along with his Jesus freaks, turned their church into a multi-million dollar business. Hi everyone and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Saruti Bala. And I am still Hannah Maguire and I aim to be every week. And every week we're going to cover your favourite cults, faith followers and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your own everyday life. Today, we're going to look at the Alamo Christian Foundation an organization that's been called, quote, dangerous and secretive. Followers of the church have created businesses worth millions of dollars. One business was especially loved by A-list celebrities of the 80s. We're talking Brooke Shields, Burt Reynolds, Mr. T. Are we putting Mr. T on the A-list? I guess so. I think so. I think he's done. He's done enough work. He's done his best. So let's get into the Alamo Christian Foundation. And before we do, just a heads up, this episode will contain some discussion of sexual abuse. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Tony and Susan Alamo. I really, really don't know where to start with these two. I think uh, a strong start would be to say that I Googled Tony Alamo uh, a mere 15 minutes ago, and he looks exactly like Jack Nicholson. Oh. Like old Jack Nicholson. Oh, and Jack Nicholson has quite a menacing look to him. <laughs> yeah, so that let's just hold that particular image in our minds, yes. shall we? And be scared together. And the other thing that I could say to get us started with uh, Tony Alamo and his wife, Susan, is a bit of a political connection because Bill Clinton actually met the Alamos in the mid-70s. The meeting even got a mention in Clinton's memoir. And that man's got a lot to write down in his memoir. So if he's uh, putting this meeting down, you know it was something. (laughs) And uh, Bill Clinton actually described Tony Alamo as, quote, Roy Orbison 
on speed, which I don't really know who Roy Orbison is. I, I googled him. You have? I did Google him. Okay. I know that is my role on this show to be the pop culture yes, dictionary. That's why I actually have no idea either. Okay. He's a singer-songwriter. Right. And in the time I spent looking at him on Google Images, he looks like, I want to say circa 50s. Interesting. He's got like the... I'm going to have a look. The thick black glasses and the slick back hair. Have you got any of his hits? Uh, <laughs> Can you sing them to me? <laughs> no, I cannot. But while Hannah Google images Roy Orbison and everybody over the age of, I don't know, 50 screams into their phone. I think he's not famous in the UK. I think I think we can... Okay, we're good then. We're just going to throw our Britishness at it like we do with every problem. Use our Britishness as an ignorance shield. <laughs> So let's kick off with Tony Alamo, who, uh, contrary to popular belief, is not Roy Orbison, whoever Roy Orbison happens to be. And let's not compare the two either. Alamo was actually born with a much less catchy name, Bernie Lazar. Um, not Bernie Laser, which is what I originally read, which would be a pretty cool name. He was born in Joplin, as in Janice, in Missouri in 1934. His family were Jewish-Romanian immigrants, and to earn money as a young kid, little old Bernie delivered newspapers. When Tony was a teenager, he moved to California with the hopes of making it as a singer, like Roy Orbison. But he didn't want to be like Roy Orbison, he wanted to be like Dean Martin. And it's been said that Tony Alamo chose that name because he thought it made him sound like an Italian crooner, aka like a la Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, etc. But unfortunately, he is none of those people and he doesn't have any of their attributes. Like Hannah said, Tony Alamo decides that he's going to, you know, he's going to be a crooner. He changes his name. He's he's fully committing to the cause. And not to discredit Tony Alamo's talents, because apparently he did find some work as a music promoter. Okay. Mm. I think there are various levels of music promotion. Mm -hmm. I think you can be like a promoter that organizes tours and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I think that's pretty legit. But what I'm getting from this is handing out flyers on Sunset Boulevard. Yes. I mean, I guess it's like when you go anywhere where there are nightclubs and then you just have people telling you that they're a promoter. Yeah, right. Like when someone's just like, off to Ibiza for the summer holidays <laughs> and they're like, I'm a promoter. It's like, <laughs> no, you're probably selling ecstasy. <laughs> so... I don't know exactly what Tony Alamo was doing, uh, but he liked to tell people that uh, he was asked to manage the Beatles, the Doors, and the Rolling Stones. Scoff. So we don't know if it's true or not. Uh, to our knowledge, this statement has never been proven as a fact. Can't say it's not, but I haven't got any proof that it was. But according to Tony, this is not where his claims uh, get more believable. In fact, Tony uh, claimed to have met actual real-life Jesus mm -hmm. in the 60s. Jesus as in Mr. Big JC, Mr. Jesus Christ. Yeah, the Messiah. Okay, got it. The Son of the God. The Anointed One. Mm -hmm. Okay, just him. Bethlehem's cutest baby. I mean, if you're turning down, like, you know, opportunities to manage the stones, then really... The only place to go is Jesus. Is Jesus. Is to have a meeting with Jesus in the 60s. <laughs> doesn't sound at all like he was selling or taking any drugs. No, and it doesn't uh, at all sound completely made up. But Tony uh, claimed that he met Jesus in the 60s and he didn't just meet him in the park or in the pub. Where else do you meet people? 
a pottery class. He met the real life Jesus at an investment firm in Los Angeles. And Jesus supposedly told Tony to leave him alone to his investments. No, he didn't. He supposedly told Tony that he was the one. He was the one and only that absolutely had to, quote, preach the second coming of Christ. If Jesus is already back alive and well and working in an investment firm in LA, hasn't the second coming already happened? I mean, that's what I thought the rule was. <laughs> I thought it was like... The, the Armageddon rule. Mm -hmm. They were like, there'll be four horsemen um, and then Jesus will come back and he will get a, a junior position at an investment firm in LA. <laughs> this is the moment that Tony Alamo decided that he was going to stop chasing this dream of being a singer. And he was actually going to stop being Jewish. He converted from Judaism to evangelical Christianity, which would be the move if you had just met Jesus. I was going to say, it would be rude not to, wouldn't it? <laughs> you meet the big JC and then you're like, nah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, I don't really buy it. So now uh, we've dealt with Tony. Let's get on to Susan. She was born with a different name too. She was called Edith Opal Horn. Uh, she was born in 1925 in rural Arkansas. Um, also grew up in a Jewish household. And before she met Tony Alamo, she'd already been married twice. Susan, just like her husband-to-be, uh, dreamed of being a Hollywood star. So in the 1940s, she moved to Los Angeles. But once she was there... She found the acting world was apparently really difficult to break into. What a surprise. So, to make ends meet, she started a scamming business. It's the classic plan B. It is, well, I would argue it's plan C, because mm. plan A, extremely famous mm -hmm. starlet. Plan B, which? Yes. Plan C is uh, grifter. Yeah, so once the, the black magic doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Do once you run out of chickens. Do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> do yourself black magic where you just steal. Love it. <laughs> Don't wait for the universe to do it for you. No. Just take it with your own hands. I love it. That's a much more empowering message. <laughs> so what Susan would do after she got sick of black magic was tell churches that she was a missionary and needed the money to convert everyone who was quite happy with their indigenous religions. And it was around this time that she began preaching to people living on the streets of L.A., and apparently the LA Times once described Susan as a, quote, platinum-haired matron, which for me <laughs> conjures up images of, like, a Miss Hannigan-type mm -hmm. figure. But I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. Carry on preaching. Carry, Carry on, on preaching. <laughs> Carry on street preaching. <laughs> Carry on street preaching. Carry on <laughs> annoying homeless people <laughs> who've got enough on their plate as it is. And do, do non-British people know what carry-on films are? I would wager probably not. If you're listening and you're not British and you don't understand the joke, carry on street preaching. Just Well, then we're even for Roy Orbison. Equals yeah. peoples. Equals peoples. Um, and you can go to your Google bar and Google carry on films and uh, be weirded out by some weird, olden timey British humor. There you go. So, after serving time in prison for a weapons charge in the 60s, Tony met Susan. And they soon married. In 1969, Tony and Susan went on to establish the Alamo Christian Foundation, which would later become Tony Alamo Christian Ministries. He really pushes Susan out there quick, doesn't he? Well, she's only a lady. <laughs> you can't be in this. It's going to be the Tony Alamo She's show. too busy street preaching with her platinum blonde hair. Being and a her matron. Apron. Yeah. And the New York Times actually referred to the beliefs of the Alamos and the Tony Alamo Christian Ministries as, quote, 
and I love this, this is fantastic, a wrathful version of Pentecostalism. And Pentecostalism is already pretty wrathful as it is. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not exactly chill, is it? No, it's, it's like, I would argue, one of the least chill mm-hmm. of all of the denominations of Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the New York Times uh, decided to call their organization a wrathful version of Pentecostalism because of what the Alamos had been telling their followers. They'd been telling them that there would be great rewards for believers. And for people who didn't follow the rules, there would be severe consequences. And these severe consequences were followed up by Alamo preaching that uh, quite a lot of baseless anti-Catholic views, uh, claiming that the Vatican was in charge of the White House and the United Nations. And Alamo also implied that Pope John Paul II, JP II, my homeboy, was a Nazi. Which, if anyone was going to be accused of being a Nazi, it would definitely be Ratzinger, the one that was afterwards. For sure. But no, JP2 is the one that uh, was coming into the firing line, should I say. And then it gets even better because Tony Alamo just decides to throw in uh, aliens as well. He completely believed that UFOs were real and he thought that they were, quote, divine messengers from heaven and a sign of the end times. For a guy who claims that Jesus has uh, transferable skills from being a carpenter (laughs) to an investment firm man. Uh, This isn't his most outrageous claim, I don't think. No, no. And by 1970, the couple found a loyal following of about 200 people, which is good going, I'll give you that. 200 people's no joke. And for a while, and this is unbelievable, for a while, all of these people lived together in a cozy three-bedroom house in L.A., I mean, I think it's time for the cult wind chime. <laughs> when you're relocating to some sort of communal living situation. Mm-hmm. But 200 people in a three-bedroom house, that sounds absolutely unbearable. Coming up, how the move to rural Arkansas helped the Alamos make millions, thanks to their volunteers, who were, quote, doing God's work. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So when we said at the top of the show that Tony Alamo and his Jesus freaks had started this multi-million dollar enterprise, maybe you thought we were being rude. Maybe you thought we were being reductive calling these people Jesus freaks. No, 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 my friends. Susan and Tony's followers called themselves Jesus freaks. They are taking it back, Hannah. They're taking it back from you. They are appropriating it. They are saying no more. We won't be discriminated. We're going to call ourselves the Jesus freaks. What are you pointing at me for? I've never said the words Jesus freaks in my life. That's a lie. Definitely have. (laughs) I definitely have flung it with malice. Tony and Susan told their followers that they had to take a vow of poverty and give all of their money and property to the church. But they said, don't worry about it uh, because we're going to take care of you. The church is going to take care of you. 
in a three-bedroom house, intensely overcrowded and cramped, Mm -hmm. probably extremely unsanitary conditions. But don't worry about it, because Jesus is alive and well and living in L.A. So in the early years of the church, the Alamos hosted a weekly TV show. Susan preached apocalyptic messages, while Tony sang gospel tunes. By the mid-70s, California agencies started to look into the Alamos organization. Susan and Tony got nervous and moved the church's headquarters to Susan's home turf in rural Arkansas. A lot less people poking around in your preachy business out there. And a former member of the Alamos church told People magazine that the Alamos made them, quote, feel that Arkansas was the promised land, the land of milk and honey. (laughs) And the follower then went on to say that she was, quote, disappointed. And also, I know we're in the black and white times here, but this lady, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming she had access to an encyclopedia. Like, she could have just, like, (laughs) looked up. It'd be right at the front, Arkansas. Like, she could have just had a look and been like, oh, this is not the same as Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would have been an easy step to make. But I guess one of the main prerequisites for joining this kind of an organization is to be the kind of person that doesn't do your own research. Yes, correct. In 1975... The Alamos began setting up their new church headquarters in Dyer, oh my God. Arkansas. <laughs> Excellent. Come on. It's like well, they ran out of names. That's so funny. And soon, the church owned close to 30 businesses nearby, including service stations, restaurants, and hog farms, just to, to name just a few. I can imagine that in Dyer, Arkansas, there's probably quite a lot of real estate up for grabs. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. imagine it as a the ghost town, just tumbleweeds. That's why you leave California, you go to Arkansas, my yeah. friend. Singular man whistling through his teeth on a porch. <laughs> and many of these businesses were listed under the church's name, which of course makes them exempt from taxes. And much of the labor was done by members of the church for Almost nothing, or sometimes nothing. Hmm, yes. Where did we put that cult wind chime? But beyond just the law of poverty, or the vow of poverty, I guess we should say, that Tony and Susan had forced upon their members, there were some other very strict rules on the compound. And again, cult wind chime, if you're living in a place that's being referred to as the compound, mm-hmm. you're in a cult. Yeah. So these were the rules. Number one, no laughing. Two, no top 40 music. No idle chatter. And also no vacations. So because many of their followers worked at the small businesses owned by the church uh, in exchange for room and board and a little bit of money, the Alamos were probably raking in quite a bit of cash. Yeah, I'll say it again. It's amazing how much money you can make when you don't pay people. It's amazing how much money you can or make. Or pay taxes. <laughs> when you don't pay taxes, have absolutely no moral compass, and don't mind just ruining lives. Mm-hmm. And don't mind slavery. Exactly. It was in the 70s when Tony Alamo started designing rhinestone-encrusted jackets. The popularity of these jackets gave him the international fame he had been craving since childhood. Dolly Parton, Burt Reynolds, Elvis Presley were just a few of the famous faces who were seen wearing Tony Alamo jackets. I mean, wow. Apparently, the Alamos unsuccessfully tried to get Elvis to join their church. 
If you've never seen one of these famous jackets, uh, they're usually highly embellished and hand-painted, and they're sort of stonewashed denim for the most part, but sometimes they are leather. The black leather jacket Michael Jackson's wearing on the cover of the Bad album is actually a Tony Alamo jacket. And this jacket, the bad jacket, was later sold at auction to help pay for the $7.9 million that the Alamos owed in taxes because they will find you. The factory where these jackets had been being made has been described as something akin to a sweatshop. In 2018, the online publication Refinery29 reported that, quote, children manned the rhinestone station using their small fingers they dropped row after row of Swarovski stones into the tiny fittings. Come here with your tiny child hands. I wouldn't put it past Tony Alamo to just have gone out and looked for small-handed children. The article also reported that all the workers at the factory, including the children, worked 14-hour days. And a former member of Alamo's group, who also worked in the factory, said, quote, We really thought we were making these jackets for God. We did it with zeal. That is quite the glass door Mm -hmm. reference for this factory. (laughs) And also, like, are we reading about uh, a secret society, a sinister secret society? Or is this just an allegory for the Industrial Revolution? (laughs) So I don't know anymore. Where children sit around in sweatshops making rhinestone jackets for pop stars. Yeah help. (laughs) People magazine reported that Alamo's net worth in 1983 was close to $25 million. Up next, the death of Susan Alamo and how Tony Alamo's empire lost its sparkle. Before we start this next segment, we just want to warn you that coming up there will be discussions of sexual abuse involving minors. Susan Alamo died of breast cancer in 1982, and at the time of her death, the Alamos had established businesses not just in disappointing Arkansas, but also in Arizona, California, and of course, Tennessee. They had also opened a daycare center and a private school. And uh, when you know what's about to happen, uh, putting anyone in charge of children sounds like bad news. Yeah. I wouldn't send my kid to the Jesus freak school, even if I was religious. I mean... Can't it it be the the nice people school? No. 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 It's got to be the Tony Alamo flock of Jesus freaks Christian ministries. Great. Where we definitely won't make your children spend all day making rhinestone jackets for God. People have said that Tony Alamo started to lose it after the death of his wife. Although I would argue that he was probably quite close to the edge already. Mm -hmm. He had Susan's body embalmed and placed in a crystal casket. Does that mean you can see through it like Snow White in like a glass coffin? I really hope not. I hope what he means is just like a casket covered in Swarovski diamonds Mm, or Swarovski crystals. I think it's a peeper. I think it's a peephole. (laughs) And he placed this, uh, we don't know if it was opaque or not, this crystal casket, he placed it in his mansions and made his followers kneel by the body and pray around the clock like she was literally Lenin until she was resurrected. And he really did believe that Susan would rise from the dead. 
but because of various things, including the laws of physics. Susan never came back. She never returned. She never rose. She never awoke. I mean, of all of the things that I've been shocked about in this episode, that is up there. Uh, yes, but don't worry about Tony. Tony does just fine. After Susan's death, he took it upon himself to marry multiple women and girls on the compound, and one of them was eight years old. Oh, good. So he doesn't seem to be that cut up about Susan's passing, to be honest. I mean, maybe he just got to the point where he was like, she would just want me, she'd want me to be happy. She, You know what, she would. She'd want me to move on and find a love of child sexual exploitation with this eight-year-old. It's what she would have wanted. Mm -hmm. The lawsuits against Tony Alamo are huge and date back to the 70s. But because this isn't an entire 10-part series just about the lawsuits of Tony Alamo, we're going to keep it succinct for you. In 1976, the Labour Department filed a lawsuit stating that Alamo exploited his followers, making them work for up to 15 hours a day, six or seven days a week at his businesses. Because remember, one of the rules, no vacations. And as if all of that isn't bad enough, it's about to get a whole lot worse. Because in 1988, Tony Alamo was accused of child abuse. Instead of going quietly with the authorities, oh no, that wasn't Tony's style, he went on the run. And while being chased by the FBI, he thought it would be a good idea to continue selling his Tony Alamo jackets to high-end boutique stores. Suffice to say, he was caught. But the charges of child abuse were dropped. However, he did go to prison for the classic tax evasion in 1991. That is how they get you every single time. You can abuse as many children as you like, as long as you keep your receipts. That's all we need. That's all we're doing. That's all we're keeping count of. (laughs) And uh, let's just finish off this particular section by telling you that Alamo is infamous for saying these words, which I wish I had never read, but now I'll never be able to forget. He said, quote, consent is puberty. What? His wife was eight. Let's move on. So in 2009, witnesses to Tony Alamo's abuse testified in court that Tony made all the key decisions on the compound. He picked who should marry, who got clothes, what people were allowed to eat, and what children were taught in school. Again. And after all of this, we haven't even come close to mentioning all of the atrocities that Tony Alamo was finally convicted of, because they involved taking girls as young as nine years old across state lines for sex. Because, Hannah, nine-year-olds have reached puberty and puberty is consent. Well, yes. So I understand. Yeah. I learned at Jesus Freak School. (laughs) For this, Tony Alamo was sentenced to 175 years in prison and fined $250,000. But after having served only eight of those years, he died while incarcerated at the age of 82. I mean, it's quite ambitious to give a a man in his 70s a 175-year life sentence. I mean, sure. Why Um, not? Why not? Why not? Uh, And he may have left this earthly realm to go to the big investment firm in the sky, but there are still remnants of Tony Alamo all around us. The Alamo jackets that we mentioned uh, earlier on in the show, well, Miley Cyrus has got one, Nicki Minaj has got one, and ASAP Rocky has also got one, or at least they have been seen wearing them, photographed wearing them. 
And as of this recording, you can find vintage, uh, you can hear the air quotes in my voice, Tony Alamo jackets online. Some of them will run you more than $1,000. Ew. There's also an active Tony Alamo Christian Ministries Facebook page, which has just over 127,000 likes. We should add, however, that uh, we don't actually know who runs the page, but still, it's there and people are all over Facebook liking it. Well, I think anything with the words Christian Ministries mm. in it is going to do well yes. uh, on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And there's also a Tony Alamo Christian Ministries website. And uh, on this website, you can buy Tony Alamo literature and read his thoughts on UFOs. Because why not? And uh, the phone number on the website uh, is actually the same phone number that's on the Facebook page. So while we would say we don't know who's running this Facebook page, I think, you know, there's a there's a connection there to be made. Yes. Um, and we could have rung the number, uh, but we, no. we didn't. Saru and I like to play a game which is called How Much Money? Um, <laughs> and... Born when we were in Romania, walking around a city with a lot of abandoned houses in the pitch black, uh, and a lot of these houses had like no windows during no, Halloween. Like, pe- yes, it was on Halloween, so that painless windows or like completely open doors. And we played a game of how much money would I have to pay you for you to put your hand through that window and hold it there for fifteen minutes? And there are various iterations of this game that we've played over the past five years. How much money, Saruti mm-hmm. Bala mm-hmm. Uh, of London? Would I have to pay you to ring that number? Oh, to ring that number. Mm, and, and and the conditions are, the conditions are. Mm-hmm. So you have to ring the number. If they don't pick up, you have to keep calling until they do. And then when they do, you have to speak to them for a minimum of three minutes. Okay, okay. Am I allowed to be critical? Am I curious? Am I positive? What's my, who am I? Who, who are, who, good question. Um, so you need this call to last for three minutes. So you don't want to shut them down. Sure, sure, sure. My thinking on evangelical Christians is also the more you challenge them, the more they're going to keep coming at you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you could play out either way. Yeah, I'd do it. I'd do that. Good. I'm, I'm so glad you value your time so highly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, guys, that is the case of Tony Alamo, his jackets, his rapey behavior, mm-hmm. and why Elvis narrowly avoided joining a cult. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, go on and on. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. So make sure you remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, be sure to follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Podcast Network on Twitter. And if that still isn't enough, if you still would love us in your ear holes even more, you can go to The Mothership, which is called Red Handed, and Red Handed is available wherever you find your podcasts. It is a weekly British true crime podcast where Hannah and I talk about all sorts of crimes, killers, cults, whatever, that you might like. So go do that, please, and we'll see you next time. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. 
Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cara McCurlin. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>